even when the Detroit Lions are having an amazing season. It's like it just has to come packed with uncertainty and drama. The first few weeks of the NFL season were so underwhelming as the team racked up loss after loss. Lots of folks were saying, same old, same old. But look at them now. Maybe, just maybe, the Lions are playoff contenders. I can tell you this, what we just did today is gonna put us in a hot commodity come next week. We'll be in a hot game, all right? Because the fact of the matter is we just extended ourselves one more week for the playoffs. We just did, we just guaranteed ourselves one more week. It's outstanding, buddy. How did Coach Stan Campbell do it? Elsewhere, fresh from a stellar season, ending with a heartbreaking loss at the Fiesta Bowl, U of M head coach Jim Harbaugh is rumored to be considering heading back to the NFL again. You know, is that going to happen? I don't know. Um, But, you know, I I would assume that there will be an interview or some sort of thing there. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Today, we're talking football. Nick Baumgartner is senior writer with The Athletic, and he's got thoughts on all that's unfolded over a tumultuous week. I uh, try to follow as much as I can without, like, falling over. But, you know, <laughs> we're, trying, we're, we're hanging in here as best we can. There's been a fair amount of falling over this season. I mean, yeah. so they're, they're, the Lions face off against the Packers this weekend. What has to happen both at this game and elsewhere for the Lions to actually make it in the postseason? You know, I'm not totally up on every single scenario, but I think the bottom line here is that you win the game you're set. You're in. You're in the playoffs. So I think that's it. That's the only way they can look at it from a football standpoint. And so they get the Sunday night flex, which is cool. Um, I don't know the last time the Lions, or if that's ever happened, frankly, that they've been flexed to the you know the popular you know solo. Even if it had been like the 4 p.m. game on Sunday afternoon, I think that would have been a big window for them. So either way, it's a huge opportunity and a huge moment. And um, yeah, just something that I don't think that the franchise and the fan base is really used to, because beyond that, they're in a very good spot for the draft, for the offseason, and for next year. And I think that's why this whole thing has been very different. It's just they, they feel like they're on schedule, and the schedule felt very difficult to probably keep. I scarcely know how to be. Um, you know, the numbers are a funny thing in this case. I mean, to say that a team is 8-8 eight and eight might not normally be... <laughs> Uh, front page news, so to speak, but going right. from one to six early on in the season to this, I mean, I'm hearing loose talk about Dan Campbell as the NFL's coach of the year. I mean, is there a universe where that could possibly happen? I think, yeah, I think that universe exists. I think that, you know, you look at where they were, right? One and six, and you got the owner, you know, Sheila had come out and talked to talk to the media that day about, you know, we still trust the coach and the GM. And it was like, oh God, that's, that was from a good place and a well-meaning place, but that's never good, right? When you hear that and yeah, uh, they traded TJ Hawkinson and, you know, just the, the timing of that was weird, but their people just really kind of got upset and really lost it. But bottom line there was they were playing really bad football and they had to make some really hard decisions. They fired Aubrey Pleasant, um, a situation that in the moment they felt was totally necessary, but I think they've even admitted to themselves that long-term they would have preferred to have kept him but this is the difference with Dan Campbell is they make these decisions and he's done this for two years in the moment that are really really hard but he has the trust of the team that you know he has their best interest at heart and they follow him and they responded to a lot of that the trade firing of a coach that a lot of guys liked and then sort of just looking at each other and saying we need to play better and you know they thought this was possible this year 
Um, they talked a lot about it in the summer and people were pretty upset about it when it didn't happen early, but right. this was a really good case of these guys just kind of believing and sticking with it. I think a lot of people were happy to write off Dan Campbell because of, uh, shall we say, his manner of presentation. We're going to kick you in the teeth. All right. And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. All right. And we're going to stand up and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. All right. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. He's so entertaining, but you just you do just get a huge sense of heart out of the guy. Seems like we don't really talk about um, Dan Campbell as tactician and as motivator. I mean, are those right. are those important parts of the Lions' success at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's that's an underrated, a hugely underrated part of who Dan Campbell is. And I think having been around this now for a while and having done a lot of reporting on this, I think it's on purpose. I think he like, I think he likes the fact that people think he's like this oaf former player who doesn't know anything or whatever couldn't like could do and i think he's really smart and i think he's beyond smarter than he lets people see and i think that the leadership part is is probably the big difference with him because there's a lot of smart coaches in the nfl all of them are really right uh, that's just how it goes but like you know down to the assistants and the coordinators and everything else but the difference with him is that ability to to gain trust and keep it but you know ben johnson the offensive coordinator is is going to be a guy who's talked to and probably interviews for head coaching jobs this off season. Um, but you know, I mean, that offense is as much about Dan Campbell as it is Ben Johnson and Ben would be the first one to tell you that. So I think that's an underrated and under talked about part of the whole thing, but also kind of like on purpose. I don't think Dan Campbell likes to talk about that. I think that's his like, I think he thinks it's like an advantage or an edge maybe that he has, and maybe it is, maybe he's not wrong. Yeah. Who, who have you most enjoyed watching on the field this season? Oh boy. Um, you know, Panay Sewell is probably the one that I, I gravitate to the most because I love the offensive line uh, and I'm such a fan of of watching those guys work and he's so unique. But really, probably the guy the most is Amon Ross St. Brown, right. um, the wide receiver, who is just a phenomenally – he's phenomenal, number one, and he's also very unique. He's just a different level or a different type, I should say, of what I would call star player in the NFL and that he is a guy – who will block. He will run routes out of the backfield. He will run underneath routes. He will go over the middle. Um, he can beat people with his speed over the top deceptively. If the, if the matchup is right, there's nothing he won't do. Uh, you know, Jared Goff described it as he's the quarterback's best friend. There's a lot of little nuanced things that he does that helps out the quarterback and really helps out the team. Uh, and I think that when you add all of that stuff that he does up, it just, it outweighs the numbers that you see on the field and the numbers are really good. I mean, he's over a thousand yards over a hundred catches. He has been phenomenal. He's been their best draft pick and they've had a lot of really good draft picks, including Panay. So, um, but I think he's been my favorite one to watch because he just works so hard and it never really stops. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we turn to why the NFL wants Jim Harbaugh. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. 
Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. I need to sidestep uh, just a half step for a minute. Uh, I Mm -hmm. was somewhat less than surprised to see that the rumorville has resumed over the NFL's interest in Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. I mean, if you were the Broncos or the Colts, I mean, would you? I mean, they they have to be interested in him, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the Colts for sure. And I would I would preface all this with April that nobody can interview, including Jim, until next week, uh, and all Rooney Rule things need to be followed. Um, but the Colts was the one that uh, I tweeted this a couple weeks ago. Someone asked, you know, do you, if, if they called, do you think he would answer? And I said, yes, I think he would answer. And the Colts are the one that I think fits the most. He knows the owner, Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay is sort of an old school guy. Um, he played for the Colts, too. Played for the Colts. He's in the ring of honor, right? Obviously there. Uh, we see it when, when they whenever they play Lucas Oil. Um, so, yes, I mean, like, he's very familiar with the franchise, the organization, the city, the owner. All of that, and the owner is an old school. Like he likes that brand of football. That's the style of football they like to play. That's about the only fit that I would I would say, frankly. And so, I just when he said what he said, what he said a couple weeks ago, I'll be coaching Michigan in twenty twenty three. I mean, you could take him at his word. It's January third, and he's still the coach. So, uh, <laughs> Nick, hey, come on. You know, this is Jim Harbaugh. This is just how he is. So, I mean, that's. You judge me by my actions, not by my words. That's what he said many, many times. And I think that I will judge him by his actions and not his words. And we'll see what happens. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, the guy's got to look out for himself. But at the same time, sure, if, he, sure. if you are athletic director, Ward Manuel, and this is happening year after year, at what point do you say this just this is too much instability? It's it's you know, it's having too much of an effect of our recruiting. If you're really not interested, Jim, maybe you better just go by. Here's your here's your right. severance. See ya. Well, frankly, I mean, I thought last year was was that point, uh, to be honest. Uh, and I was, you know, proven wrong, obviously, because he comes back and it works out. But, you know, and he said what he said then, you know, this is not going to be an every year thing. And it's almost and it's just like, I don't know why you're saying that, because you know, you're not going to be able to predict that. I, You know, there's no way I know how he thinks. I know how he operates to me. I think that's the great point. And that's the conversation that they're going to have to have one that they I don't think they had it last year. You know, I don't yeah. know that. But I don't think that they had that conversation of like, is this really going to be the last time? Like, is this really it? Because I don't think it is. Like, I think you're just saying that because it didn't work out. And like, like the thing that people have gotten lost with this is Jim, it wasn't just the Vikings. He would have taken calls from a lot of teams last year. Only one called and only one offered an interview and they didn't offer him a job. And that's ultimately why the thing ended the way it did. And he comes back and everything works out the way it does. But like the interest, I don't think was tabled. And I think that that's still there. And if the right situation comes along, which could be the Colts or the Broncos, I suppose. We'll see. I mean, but this is this is a coach at the same time who has racked up serious accomplishments. I mean, it's it's right. not all hype. The guy has has been yeah. to the the guy's been to the Bulls undefeated seasons. He's been to the Super Bowl, but he has fallen short of those biggest titles, which I can only guess is like why this we're even having this conversation. Right. Do you see him getting there professionally at some point? 
Hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that's a, that's that's a great that's something that I've thought about a lot because, you know, last year sort of forced me to think about, you know, OK, what would Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL look like? And I cover the NFL now more than I do college. So I'm more familiar with how, you know, that brand of football works. And more importantly, you know, because I think that would work. I think all of Jim's football ideas would translate. More importantly, though, I don't know if Jim's personal and personality would translate to an NFL locker room. I really don't. Uh, I think it's better suited for college. Uh, I think a lot of people have long thought that. And this is another thing that, you know, that we 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 forget, you know, through history is that when it ended in San Francisco, it was not just the owner who was like, get him out of here. A lot of the guys on the roster were like, I cannot take this. I can't play for him for one more minute. He's he's too much. And, you know, there's something to be said about a college kid having to be a college kid and have to deal with that where a professional doesn't. And right. so I don't know. And, you know, you bring up the point, you know, he's been to all these bowls and they've been to so many great bowls, but he's also lost six in a row. Uh, and there's something about, you know, that extra preparation is that, you know, is that a strength or weakness? And so, you know, 10 years ago, he was at the top of his profession. I'm not sure if I would put him in the top five of all football coaches right now. I don't think that I could say that with in fairness. So I, I don't know how it's going to go, but um I suppose we'll see. He surprised me before. I always, I always end it with that because I, I don't really like to doubt him because he uh, finds a way more than he doesn't. Yeah. Hey, again, I have to ask about what happened last night in Cincinnati. People have no doubt heard by now that the Bills' DeMar Hamlin uh, collided with another player and then right. stood up and then fell backward in what we think is some kind of cardiac incident. He's at UC Medical Center as we're having this conversation, and we don't know exactly, you know, what the diagnosis was. But, right. I mean, it was just terrifying to watch. It was. Yes. It, was, it I believe that I read the same thing. Uh, maybe something from the Bills of Cardiac Arrest, and they had to bring out the, you know, the paddles. It was, you know, it was horrifying. Um, I've been to... More games than I can count where a guy goes down and all you're doing with the binoculars is, you know, you're sitting upstairs and all you're doing is just staring and hoping that someone is moving or someone is getting up or something is happening. And the first thing you think about in that situation is like the neck and and all that. But the thing I guess that the average maybe person doesn't continue on to think about is like, well, it could be anything. It could be anything. And that's the scary part of it, the Lions actually had a scary moment earlier this year with a player, Savion Smith, um, who had a serious neck injury. And I think it was not in the way you would normally think. It was like he was moving sort of violently one way and, and he just collided wrong with another guy and his neck. It was just a real mess. And he just narrowly avoided a really, really bad situation. But I think that this was a, you know, an example or a reminder to people that there is a lot more than just, you know, a head injury situation, which is obviously a huge concern every time anybody goes out there. But like there's a lot more going on and it's a violent, violent sport. And that's not something that people just say it's real. It's not a video game. It's real life. And too often, I think that we allow ourselves to forget that. And last night was a rough reminder. And we're hopeful, obviously, he's OK. I don't know if you saw that clip of Ryan Clark on ESPN last night, former player. Of I've course, seen talk people talk about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, noting the dangers that that people face out there every single week that they play. You realize this isn't just football. And so many times in this game and in our job as well, we use the cliches, you know, I'm ready to die for this. I'm willing 
to give my life for this. It's, it's time to go to war. And I think sometimes we use those things so much, we forget that part of living this dream is putting your life at risk. And tonight, you know, we got to see a side of football that is extremely ugly, a side of football that no one ever, that side of football that no one ever wants to see or never wants to admit exists. When you see, it was just crazy, Nick. Like watching what was the progression of how things played out last night. It was like the league officials decided play shouldn't continue, but it was players standing there grieving on the sidelines that brought things to what felt like a more appropriate halt. I mean, was that was that how you read the progression of events too? You know, that's what it looked like. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say that for sure. And I saw that a lot of people were you know, emotional about it in the moment on Twitter last night. And I understand all that, obviously. But like, you know, I, I don't know when what was called, but I, I would also say it certainly looked like, yeah, the players and the coaches sort of got together and said, I think we're going to we're going to say we're not we're not going back out there. Right. Like this is how that's mm-hmm. going to be one way or the other. And frankly, the way I kind of left it was like, I don't know what the right if, if the right exact call every step of the way was made last night. But I mean, I. I think we'd be remiss if we said there wasn't some progress because there, there's been moments in the past, you know, Reggie Brown in Detroit was one, uh, and that game finished. They played, you know. I mean, these are things that have happened before, and the league has just soldiered on, and this is an instance where this was an important game in terms of the standings, and they halted it, which for TV money, we work in media, we know how much money is on the line with that. That's probably what people were criticizing them of in the moment, like are they going to keep playing because of the money? And they didn't. So, I mean, I don't know what the right exact move in every situation is, but I mean, I, it, I try to find the growth moments, right? And I think that hopefully that was something, you know, that, uh, that we all talk about because there's so many moments like that, right, where somebody goes down and it's just like, okay, well, we got to keep playing. And it's like, do you? I mean, like, this is tough. It's tough to regather yourself and refocus. And, um, you know, yes, it was good to see that uh, the more appropriate end uh, that happened there. And hopefully, obviously, he's okay. But you know, you're glad that those guys didn't have to go back out there like that. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find full Stateside episodes when you're ready to stream more news and great storytelling about Michigan. It's at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Ronia Cabansag. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Take care. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.